NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. to the local edition live from Radio Catskill Studios in Liberty, New York. I'm your host, Jason Dole. We're keeping you connected. And tonight we're connecting with New York Focus. But this is not a regular check-in with New York Focus because as we count down the final days of 2023, essentially the next week and a half, we're talking about the year that was with all of our news partners. So tonight is the year in review with New York Focus. And that means the year in review for New York State and news out of Albany. And to help make this happen, I want to welcome back to Radio Catskills Local Edition, Sam Mellons from, from New York Focus. Sam, are you here with us? Yes, I am. Hello. Thanks. Thanks for welcome back to the show. And also from New York Focus, Spencer Norris. Spencer, are you here with us? Yep, I'm here. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. Welcome. Welcome back to the show. It's great to have both of you. So, um, I guess let's start off. Sam, uh, Governor Kathy Ockel's proposed half billion dollar subsidy to revive New York's uh, struggling horse racing industry, uh, particularly renovating Belmont Park. Uh, this this was a sticking point in the drawn out uh, budgeting issues that happened in uh, New York in 2023. What can you tell us about this story? This was an interesting one that I covered as part of our broader coverage of the state budget negotiation, and I would just I would quibble only with one little point that you, of, of what you said there, which is uh, it wasn't really a sticking point or a contentious issue. This was something you know there were a lot of big budget fights this year over bail, over housing, over a few other measures. But the idea of expanding New York's subsidies to the horse racing industry, which many people don't know about, but, uh, you know, sort of comes in at hundreds of millions of dollars a year to an industry that loses money. They, they run, run a gambling business and lose money. So that, that's kind of impressive. <laughs> um, and New, New York subsidizes this industry so that it can stay afloat with hundreds of millions of dollars a year. And part of the state budget this year was the governor's initiative to advance a nearly half-billion-dollar loan to the main uh, corporation that operates racetracks in New York State so that they can build a new grandstand at uh, Belmont Park on Long Island, where, as is the case for many horse racing venues across the country, attendance has been consistently falling for the past several decades and shows no sign of turning around. They claim the new grandstand will will turn things around and, you know, boost attendance by tens of thousands of spectators a year. But the evidence for that is pretty thin. There there aren't other racetracks that I was aware of or that they're aware of where that's happened. But nonetheless, um, there was about half a billion dollars uh, put in the, in the budget this year for them to build that new stadium. So 
when it check back with us in a few years when it's built and we'll see we'll see if the promises panned out. Wow. Well, thank you for pointing out that I that I got that wrong about saying it was a sticking point. I will fully admit that that's me prejudicing the news. That's me being a bit subjective there because it it was a sticking point for me after I talked to New York Focus. After I talked to right. you and you told me all this, I was like, oh my god, they're that they're doing that. They're giving that much money to horse racing. Oh my goodness. It was a sticking point for State Senator Liz Kruger, who represents Manhattan and chairs the Senate Finance Committee, and was uh, you know kind kind of worked up about this initiative, but it was not really a sticking point for anyone else holding the levers of power. Oh my goodness! And um, you know, is there is there other budgeting news that stuck out to either of you uh, for this year while we're while we're talking about one of these items from the budget? Sam, you want to go ahead? Sam? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there. I'm, I'm happy to. I mean, there, there, there's so, there's so many things. But I mean, for me, sort of the, and you know, based on what the specifics of what I cover, sort of the, the headline news was that, and I, I may have talked about this on this show before, is that uh, in January, Governor Kathy Hochul uh, came forward with a really sort of aggressive and far-reaching plan to try to put a dent in the problem of housing affordability in New York by requiring excuse me, cities and towns across the state to build uh, more housing over, over three-year periods. And the legislature completely rejected that plan, and uh, everyone sort of decamped for the year in June without taking major action to address the housing crisis in New York. And, uh, Sam, you had an article along these lines, too. Albany to suburbs will pay you to build housing. Suburbs to Albany, no thanks. Yeah, so that was looking at sort of the legislature's counter to the governor's plan. The governor said, what if we required every city, town, village across the state to add a certain amount of housing? It was going to be 1% of, of their of their existing housing they had to add again, or 3%, depending on where they were in the state. Uh, and the legislature came back and said, what if we kept that 1% target or that 3% target, but instead of requiring it, we offered grants to to cities and towns that hit it voluntarily. Now, one potential problem with this, if you think that there's a housing shortage in New York, is that a lot of cities and towns don't want to build new housing. Some even have gone so far as to ban new housing outright, like Belrose on Long Island. And so I spent a few days calling mayors of smaller cities and towns. I talked to the mayor of Belrose, the mayor of Mount Kisco in Westchester, the mayors of a few upstate towns and villages and said, would you be interested in these grants the legislature is offering to build more housing? And the two reactions in general that I got were, no, we don't want that. We would rather not build housing and not get the grant. Or, yes, we would like to get the grant, but we want to build housing anyway. And it's not that we weren't going to build housing and now we're going to because of the grant. So it seemed to me that uh, while that program, I mean, it didn't end up becoming law, but that program could have helped out towns that were planning to build housing anyway. I didn't get the sense that it was going to change anyone's mind from we don't want to build housing to now we want to build housing. Wow. And just again, just remind listeners and, and just as I reflect back on this year that was like the, when it when it was the state of the state address, Governor Kathy Hochul 
hit that hard. She hit her housing initiative very hard, which in some ways made it a very spectacular failure in the budgeting process and a major rift between her and the democratically controlled legislature. Yeah, I think that's that's totally right. It was it was the first item on her agenda, and she had sort of a long list of proposals that were meant to accomplish that, and it it really didn't get very far at all. Yeah. Now, uh, Spencer, a couple of mm-hmm. uh, 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 you know, kind of crime related stories and and carceral system related stories. We're rounding out the first full year since New York's jail MAT law, MAT law went into effect. And there's some concern about what implementation will look like. Can you remind folks uh, what this law was all about? Yeah, sure thing. Um, So this was a law that was uh, passed in 2021 and officially went into effect uh, towards the end of last year. Uh, the law was designed to connect people that are in states, prisons, and jails with um, medications for opioid use disorder. Um, the most uh, commonly uh, used ones are buprenorphine and methadone. basic idea behind these medications is that um, you take them and they will eliminate your cravings uh, for opioids and uh, frequently are used as a long-term solution um, for people that are, ex- are experiencing the disease. Um, so the idea is that uh, a huge portion of uh, the incarcerated population also uh, suffers from a uh, substance use disorder. Um, I think the figure nationally is somewhere around uh, 50% or something. Um, so the idea behind this uh, this policy was to try and connect more people um, with care. I think the thing is that uh, we're seeing a lot of issues with how this is actually being implemented, even if uh, you know it's following uh, the letter of the law. Um, the story you're referring to, I'm pretty sure, uh, was a story that we did related uh, to the Broome County Jail. Um, we spoke with a number of uh, men that were incarcerated uh, at the facility, and even though a lot of them were maybe eventually able to get um, access to medication, a lot of them were saying, you know, they had to wait months in order uh, to get on uh, this medication in the first place. And this medication is very important um, for people that are experiencing opioid use disorder. I mean, um, these are important for keeping people alive. Um, so the fact that a lot of these guys are going for months uh, while they're incarcerated uh, without access to life-saving medication was a uh, cause for concern and led um, to uh, some pretty scary outcomes. Um, one gentleman I spoke with, uh, he was going through withdrawal because uh, he wasn't able to access his medication uh, when he first went into the jail wound up uh, passing passing out and hitting his head off the floor. Um, and, you know, fortunately, medical staff was there. But, I mean, that's just one example of, like, what can go wrong when uh, people aren't being given access uh, to these medications that they need. I just want to let the listeners know this this article that we're talking about, uh, about the Broome County Jail, and in, in, in quotes you have Doom County Jail, this dysfunction plagues program for incarcerated opioid users. Men locked up in Broome County Jail describe an opioid treatment program so shoddy they risk withdrawal, relapse, and overdose. And you open up this article with a, a harrowing uh, account of uh, what what one incarcerated person's experience going through withdrawal. And and 
had been too sick to eat for 10 days. And you say in the article, quote, opioid withdrawal is torturous and occasionally lethal. The pain can be bone deep, often described as a worst illness of someone's life. Um, this article came out uh, at, towards the end of September. So it's been a couple months. Has anything changed that you've heard of? Has you gotten any response from authorities on this story? Um, I've spoken with uh, some uh, some authorities who have uh, indicated that, well, yeah, they, they're aware of these issues. Um, particularly, I've spoken with um, a couple of people in the legislature that say uh, that this is um, this is on their radar. Um, I haven't heard much uh, from the law enforcement uh, community at this point, though, to be honest. Well, and then, you know, along those lines, uh, the State Sheriff's Association tried to uh, kill this legislation before it passed. Uh, this is another uh, article here. Is this something you already just covered, if I'm missing this? Uh, New York sheriffs tried to kill jail opioid treatment love. Is that there in your setup? Right. So um, this uh, same law that we just described uh, that is responsible um, for making sure people are connected uh, with this medication, um, before uh, it actually came down the pike and was approved by the legislature, um, it went through uh, a couple of um, uh, different legislative sessions over the years. And in between, the New York Sheriff's Association uh, was circulating memos uh, to legislators um, trying uh, to kill it. Um, saying that pretty much uh, the decision whether or not to offer uh, this medication, it should be down to the sheriff and it should be down um, to uh, law enforcement, which runs counter um, to uh, expert opinions on this, which say this is a medical condition um, that uh, needs to be uh, needs to be treated and uh, managed by well, medical professionals, uh, not by um, not by correctional officers. You know, along those lines, have you, I think just some bigger picture here, I'd like to just you talk if you have any experience with and if you can talk about the extent to which um, New York sheriffs are a, a political force when it comes to shaping legislation or response to legislation. Sure. Um, I mean, I don't want to speculate too much, um, but it is known um, that the law enforcement lobby is important um, in uh, shaping uh, the governor's uh, perspective on um, what their legislative priorities are going to be, along with uh, the legislature at large. Um, so I think that the fact that you had um, uh, about it's what 62 uh, separate counties and uh, sheriff's offices from each one uh, coming together to say, "Hey, we um, don't want this and uh, want this in our jails," that is uh, a pretty significant uh, consideration. Though ultimately, uh, the law was passed anyways. I think now the consideration um, that a lot of people have is um, you have a number of sheriff's departments that came out and imposed this legislation. They are now the ones that are responsible for implementing it. And I think uh, to a lot of um, the people I spoke with, um, that uh, explains to some extent why you run into issues like what we saw in Broome County and why there are um, issues with actually uh, connecting people with these medications, even though it is legally required to do so. Okay, and now Sam, uh, staying with uh, you know more broadly healthcare, uh, but on a different topic, 
Um, you have an article talking about state lawmakers rushing to pass a bill allowing New York to expand health insurance coverage for undocumented residents. Of course, the, 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 the migrants and refugees that came to New York State, probably one of the biggest stories of 2023 for New York State as well as New York yeah. City across the state. Um, can, can you talk about uh, that story uh, broadly, but through the, the focus of this uh, issue about expanded health insurance coverage? Yeah, this is something we've been following for a while. There is sort of a little-known provision of Obamacare, or the, you know, the Affordable Care Act, that allows states to create federally funded health programs for people who make too much money to qualify for Medicaid, the federal program for very low-income Americans, um, but not enough to afford private insurance. And only two states have taken up this program, Minnesota and New York. In New York, it's called the Essential Plan. It covers over a million New Yorkers. So it's very popular. It provides some level of basic health coverage for uh, no upfront cost or a, a small upfront cost. And for several years, immigrant advocates have been pushing to expand eligibility uh, for the Essential Plan to undocumented New Yorkers. They're saying, you know, these are, in many cases, uh, our neighbors, you know, people who work in providing services that we use, they get sick, we can have the federal government, it won't cost the state of New York, we can have the federal government uh, extend health, extend some form of health coverage to people who qualify based on their income level. Uh, and the governor last year actually said that she would pursue this path. She said she was going to look into uh, getting the federal government to provide these funds. And then when she released her budget proposal this year, that was absent. The, she had not she had not sort of done the follow through that people expected was coming after she said that she was going to look into that. And the legislators who support it, uh, in particular, uh, Senator Gustavo Rivera and Assemblymember Jessica Gonzalez Rojas, representing the Bronx and Queens, were pushing their colleagues very hard to pass a bill that would do this uh, and send it to the governor and say, we, we want this to happen Um can we make it happen to so that end? They sent a letter to the federal government, you know, sort of double checking that this is a thing that that can be done. And they uh, received what they took to be an affirmative answer. If I remember correctly, I think in the end, the bill passed the state Senate, but did not pass the assembly, which is often the slower of two houses to, to pass bills. Uh, and so that that didn't make it through this year. But I know it's something that it's an idea that its proponents intend to continue pushing on. Right. And any further thoughts on just how, again, this this is just one of the major stories in New York State and, and impacted so many different areas of New York State life, just as influx of folks and just the wrangling between uh, Governor Hochul and the Biden administration, then eventually even Governor Hochul and Mayor Adams in New York City, who started off trying to be pretty chummy about all this. And anything yeah. else that you can add to this? Well, I think one way that it sort of fits into the broader narrative is the thing we've been hearing over and over from Mayor Eric Adams is that the federal government needs to step up, that this is a problem that has its roots in federal immigration policies, and it's a problem that can be solved with federal policy and with federal funding. And this potential expansion of the healthcare plan, it wouldn't exclusively or even primarily be for migrants who have recently come to New York but it, it is one way 
to draw down federal funding to deal with the cost to the safety net from this uh, sort of from this population because New York pays a lot of money through its emergency Medicaid program to deal with the healthcare needs of people who have undocumented status here. And this would be a way to shift some of those costs to the federal government, sort of in a way similar to what Mayor Adams has been calling for uh, in terms of the federal government helping the city manage the cost of providing food and shelter to the migrant population. All right. And Spencer, back uh, on the the topic of the overdose and and a drug crisis in New York State. Uh, a lot of people were pushing Governor Hochul to declare a public health emergency on the overdose crisis. Um, did did she end up doing that this year? And and what does your reporting tell us? Um, if she has, I haven't heard anything yet. Um, what the reporting tells us is that um, to be frank, the opioid uh, crisis in the state has never been worse. Um, we're not quite out of 2023 yet, uh, but it's estimated that about 7,000 New Yorkers will have died uh, over uh, the course of this year, making it the worst year um, on record yet for uh, this crisis, um, which is crazy to think about when you're uh, talking about the fact that um, we're pumping more money into uh, treatment and care uh, for this than ever before. Um, so I think that a lot of people uh, that are plugged into uh, the addiction and treatment community um, are looking at this and saying kind of, well, what gives? Why haven't we declared a state of emergency yet? Um, I mean, just for context, uh, the governor um, and the executive um, over the years have used uh, executive orders to uh, create public health emergencies from for everything from COVID, of course, uh, through to gun violence, um, and then even a water main break in uh, Jefferson County. Um, so we're talking about a crisis that um, is killing 7,000 New Yorkers a year um, and possibly growing. Um, I think a lot of people are sort of scratching their heads and wondering why uh, the governor has not done this. Um, in turn, what I'm hearing from a lot of uh, the same people is that they're feeling increasingly alienated uh, by the administration and um, what they perceive as sort of a hands-off uh, approach to this. Um We'll see how that translates into uh, support uh, from progressives that really care about drug policy uh, over the next um, year as we're going into 2024. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's just the question. Why has uh, the governor uh, not taken this seemingly relatively simple step to address something that's killing thousands of people? Is Are you here, rather than make you speculate on it, are you hearing from other sure. people that are speculating on that or other people that think they have an answer to that? Because to me, it would seem like given the other things that have had emergencies declared on, that there would likely be a political component to why she hasn't done this. I'm just wondering what the strategy is. But I guess you're wondering that, too. Yeah, uh, to an extent, I am. I mean, um, the vast majority of people I have spoken with so far um, are also uh, just perplexed. And they've said, you know, I just, I really don't have an answer uh, why the executive hasn't uh, done this. The only person um, I have spoken with uh, who uh, has been able to really take a guess at it um, said that from their perspective, it seems like it is a political calculation uh, because it would put the opioid crisis back center stage and uh, force the governor to confront the fact that uh, this crisis has gotten worse under her watch, uh, not better. But their words, not mine. 
in Sullivan County, New York, which uh, is a big part of our listening area here where our radio station is located. Uh, we know that we have a particularly high uh, overdose rate as far as the last numbers that we've been able to see. And one of the big news stories I just want to remind listeners of for 2023 was the fact that Sullivan County got what it had been asking for for a while, which was uh, HIDTA status, high intensity drug trafficking uh, area uh status and that this is more of a federal designation that was supposed to and did actually free up funds that are now being put to use here but that's that's not exactly a declaration of emergency but it is something that uh, Senator Schumer was pushing for for a while as well as a lot of uh, local officials as well that finally happened this summer so here on the ground you know where i live it seems like People and that's people on the ground as well as officials as well as us in the media are treating this as if it's a, it's an emergency that's happening right now. So it's interesting to to me to hear from you that out of Albany there doesn't seem to be as much urgency. Yeah, that seems to be uh, pretty consistent um, with uh, what I've learned uh, from reporting on the overdose crisis um, over this past year. Uh, broadly speaking, what I've noticed is that a lot of people that are more immediately uh, connected uh, to the community, um, your local officials, your local health department, uh, are really digging into this issue um, because they are seeing the effects on a daily basis. They know people um, that uh, are frequently going to the emergency room. Um, they are speaking directly with the police officers that have to respond to these calls over and over again. Um, but from the perspective of a lot of the advocates I've spoken with, they just don't feel like they're being heard out at the same level um, as you sort of climb the ladder. There's just, from their perspective, kind of a disconnect um, between Albany and uh, what's really going on on the ground. And along those lines, while Hochul's embraced certain progressive policy measures on drugs, a lot of her stances have skewed uh, what one might consider more moderate and conservative Um uh, and you actually have an article with the title going back to March. Now your article, Hochul quietly bets on police to battle fentanyl. This almost seems to be a piece of, uh, what we were just talking about. Yeah, it does. Um, you, you raise a good point. I think that to be clear, the governor is embracing a lot of more progressive, um, drug policy measures, um, her uh, administration has really invested heavily in harm reduction um, per the recommendations of uh, the Opioid Settlement Board. Um, but on the flip side, it also seems like she's embracing certain policies that um, adhere to more of uh, a moderate um, or conservative uh, perspective. Um, one of the big things that happened this year was uh, scheduling a number of uh, new fentanyl analogs. What that means is, well, an analog is a chemically similar drug. Um, so something that's designed to act like fentanyl, but just molecularly is a little different. Scheduling means uh, that it becomes uh, subject to a number of regulations that are defined at the state level, including be able, being able to charge people with uh, criminal possession. Um, so a lot of people that were on uh, the progressive end of things um, were saying, look, there's no reason to do this. This is kind of a throwback uh, to the war on drugs. Uh, nonetheless, the fentanyl analogs uh, were pushed through um, during uh, the budget and um, are, have now been scheduled. Um, so again, this is one of those things where um, while the governor is investing in certain um, certain progressive measures, she's also sort of pushing back with more investment in law enforcement. And then, 
of course, also pushing back against uh, the overdose prevention centers um, in New York City. Okay, and Sam, going back into the court side of law enforcement, uh, this year civil rights lawyers uh, uh, decided to sue the Office of Court Administration, the OCA, because apparently there were, your reporting says there was secret memos guiding judges' decisions, and uh, basically uh, lawyers want those memos to be public so people know what's guiding the judges. Is that correct? That is correct. And this was a really eventful year for the courts, you know, with uh, some of the things I've talked about on your show before, which is why I brought up this story, because I thought your listeners might like to hear about something a little different. But just very briefly, for the first time ever, the state Senate rejecting the governor's choice for the top court, rejecting uh, Judge Hector LaSalle to become the chief judge of the state of New York in February, and then uh, Rowan Wilson being made made the chief judge in April. And uh, we've been reporting on how he and uh, Caitlin Halligan, who also joined the uh, state's top court this year, have been, so far it seems, leading the court in a more progressive direction. So all that is very interesting, but we talked about it before. So this story was about, um, yeah, it turns out that there is, or there appears to be, we, there's still secrets we don't fully know, but there appears to be a cache of memos written by lawyers for the court system that are distributed to judges, sort of explaining either higher courts' rulings or, you know, regulations or rules of the court system itself and guiding them in their rulings on cases. Now, when a judge makes a ruling that guides lower courts, generally that's public, and, you know, you can just Google the name of the case and read it. These memos are not public. They only, they actually, the the New York Civil Liberties Union became aware of them because of a story that we did back in 2021 where someone leaked us one of these memos and we published it. And that made them say, hey, wait a second, are are there more of these? And they launched a freedom of information request that turned into a lawsuit to try to get the rest of these memos if they exist, which presumably they do, because otherwise the court system wouldn't be fighting this. Um, That went to the first level of the court system and the New York Civil Liberties Union won. And the court system is currently appealing it to the second level of three levels in New York State's court system. I think the case was heard, I think, I think just a few days ago, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think we have a decision in it yet. But it's uh, an, an effort at, you know, making this sort of obtuse part of the justice system a little bit more transparent. And, you know, uh, uh, jur- uh, journalists, we, we like documents. We're, we're, we're hoping that these documents become public and that we'll be able to report on them. And uh, if they do, it uh, could offer a chance uh, to take a look inside a sort of secretive element of the court system and see what's going on in terms of that decision-making process. And absolutely. And at that point, you would 